Eliana, do you think you can beat the big C? The big C? I'm curious to see what exactly do you mean by that, Thomas. We'll find out. The science basement. Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Science Basement Podcast, a podcast for people who love all things science. I'm your host, Thomas. And I'm your co-host, Eliana. And to honor the International Cancer Day on the 4th of February, we will be working with ICANN on this podcast miniseries about cancer and where cancer research is going. ICANN is an exciting new research opening in Helsinki, a national flagship project aiming for discovering new cancer treatments. To tell us all about it, we have our special guest, Professor Tommy Makela. He's leading the ICANN project and also has been involved in initiating EU cancer mission as a board member. He's a researcher with an outstanding experience in cancer. And today, he's here to share some of his knowledge with us. Hi, Tommy. Uh, hello, and thanks a lot for, uh, for the Science Basement to have opportunity to discuss a little bit about cancer research and ICANN. Our pleasure. I guess we'll start today easy on you and uh, with a basic question that not everyone necessarily knows. Um, people are aware of, of cancer and uh, a, what a terrible disease it is, but what is exactly cancer? What constitutes this disease? Well, well, first of all, cancer is a disease which has a dreadful stigma in the society. So, so uh, the big C is something that you never want to hear. And, uh, and this is something that has, has been very true for a long time. But fortunately, these days, uh, it's becoming a little bit smaller C. And we'll discuss this further down the road. Uh, but if we think about biology and uh, think about what's happening in the disease, it's a disease different from other diseases we have because it starts from a single cell whose genome, uh, DNA, gets altered. And this cell becomes a terrorist of society, if you think of, of our body as a society. And, uh, and this, this means that once uh, it gains mutations, it's like a silent terrorist. And then gradually it may acquire further mutations and acquire more characteristics which makes it get attention and uh, finally can become a huge problem. And it's this way in which the cell is getting more and more mutations and uh, expanding uh, like a terrorist cell that makes this a very different disease from, uh, from, for instance, neurodegenerative or other diseases. And may I ask, because you mentioned before that uh, cancer in the society was like a big no-no, you wouldn't want to name it, you wouldn't want to have it, um, and it's uh, like this burden we carry. Um, but why exactly today are we talking on this episode about cancer? Well, for two reasons. One is that from a societal perspective, from the global perspective, Cancer is becoming a bigger and bigger disease burden uh, for, for mankind. The population, especially in the Western world, is aging quickly. Uh, this means that, uh, that more and more people will end up uh, having cancer at sometime during their lifetime. If we don't get new solutions, 60% of people who are born during the next 10 years will end up with having cancer during their lifetime. And this is, uh, this is a dramatic increase from currently. And uh, also, from a positive side, we're talking about it because uh, we're finding uh, more and more uh, new uh, ideas of how to tackle and uh, try to fight cancer. Okay. And this societal problem, obviously, it's, uh, it's massive. But as you said, we've, we've done some progress in helping patients. And this big C has been becoming smaller. I, I would assume that part of it is because there are 
novel treatments or newer treatments that are um, that have increased the lifespan and the quality of life of patients. So what are the things that we've learned along the way about this disease? What do we know about cancer that has led us to diminish the, the burden that this uh, terrible disease has? First, it's always very important to stress that the big C is still a big killer. So it's uh, dreadful for lots of patients. And therefore, uh, this, this is not to be underestimated. But where the improvements have been made uh, is our understanding of what's behind the disease. So we've been able to go further and further, get uh, resolution and light in the room where, where cancer is, in the way of understanding uh, how it takes place, what is behind uh, cancer. And uh, with this improved understanding, uh, we can then devise treatments which are uh, more rational from the cancer point of view, as opposed to being just empirical, being something that is just tried out and found to work. And uh, this increased understanding has also led to understanding that cancer is, is often talked as a, as a single uh, disease entity. It's in fact uh, not th even a thousand diseases, but it's more like a million diseases. It's almost like each cancer is its own disease because it's a combination of mutations that are taking place in the cells. And because this, there's a, lots of different mutations, combinations are, are high. And because of that, we need to look at each ca cancer as a unique cancer. And because of that, this is what is called precision medicine or precision cancer medicine. And this uh, allows us to, uh, in the best case scenario, uh, find a, a drug uh, which can work for a single patient with, for instance, breast cancer, whereas it would not uh, for another person with breast cancer. And this increased finding of new drugs, uh, which are in this way personal, is uh, gaining uh, a lot of potential in, in, this, in this area. Okay. And just to, just to review for a second, so you, you mentioned that the, these are uh, loads of diseases, millions of diseases. What brings them all together? You've mentioned that it's, it's rogue cells, essentially, that, um, that divide, but um, is there anything, anything else? Is there something that holds them together so that we essentially call them all a cancer? Like it's, we understand that their cancers can occur in different places, but it, what, what do all these diseases have in, in common uh, from a cellular perspective? Yeah, so of course, first of all, uh, cancer is always a disease of the genes. So it's a genetic disease. This has to be the case because the cancer has to grow. Uh, it means that the cells have to duplicate and somehow uh, give these cancer characteristics to the, uh, to the daughter cells. And in this way, uh, it has to be in the hard drive, uh, which, is, which is our genome. And uh, so this is, what, this is the kind of the central dogma. The second central dogma for a, a cancer that is bad for, for a patient is that the cancer grows and finally spreads. And this is something that is not always the case. So in fact, uh, there are a lot of cancers in the population uh, which never is noticed because the cells, a cancer cell is born, but it never spreads uh, and it never causes a disease. So in this way, uh, this is not a, a shared uh, feature of all cancers, but it is a shared feature of cancers which become a problem. So uh, multiplying and spreading, if you put it very simplistically. I have a couple of questions from what you just said, uh, because in my mind, there are also like the genetic syndromes, which is uh, changes in the genome that 
if I'm not mistaken, because I'm not from biology, they come or they happen at, at the embryo stage. So mm-hmm. when the embryo is developed, but cancer is changes in the genome that happens during the life after birth, if, if I'm not mistaken, right? Uh, yes, that is correct. So, so when I say that cancer is a genetic disease, that means that it's a, a disease of the genes, but it's a disease of genes in a single cell. Uh, whereas uh, our genome, what we what, what we have inherited from our parents and grandparents, is something that is uh, uh, is taking place in all of our cells. Uh, it comes uh, from the fertilized egg, uh, uh, finally from our da- mom and dad. And of course, also in that uh, hereditary genome, the one that we we inherit, there can be uh, uh, genes or variants of genes uh, which are predisposing to many diseases, including cancer. Uh, However, these are just predisposing. These are increasing the likelihood of something happening. But uh, but cancer uh, is is always something that happens during our lifetime. And these are called what is known as a difficult term, but it's called somatic mutations, which means mutations during the lifetime. Okay, I see. That That is very interesting. And it kind of brings me to my next question, which is also like a backstep uh, from what we were discussing a bit earlier, um, or more precisely, you mentioned a bit earlier, because I'm, as I said, not from the field of biology, but I have a little bit of experience on cancer research because I have been a host in another episode. And I remember there it was discussed that um, it's not only that we have cancer on different organs, but also uh, the same type of cancer will be different among its individual. And that's an added complexity, which um, if I understand right, will um, be the reason why it takes so long to gain knowledge about cancer uh, in terms of what do we know uh, right now. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, uh, and uh, uh, so, so, so in fact, uh, uh, a lot of people, especially those who are trying to understand the mechanisms of cancer, consider each cancer as an individual disease, which is uh, which is different from the others. And and if you now we have the uh, capability, technological capability, to look at all the mutations in the in the three billion uh, nucleotides of a cancer cell, and uh, usually there's hundreds or thousands of mutations. And therefore, the combination of having the exact same mutations in two different cancers is almost impossible. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's less likely than, than winning in the lottery. And therefore, of course, not all of these mutations will have an impact on how the cancer behaves, but many of them will. And, and because of this, each cancer is quite different. There are also shared features in, for instance, in a, in a cancer that arises in a certain tissue. So, so it's definitely relevant to think about what is the tissue? Is it the blood cells? Is it, uh, is it uh, breast cancer? Is it colorectal cancer? These are all very important features. But at the same time, one should more and more look at also what are the genetic changes that are taking place there. And this uh, helps understand the cancer a lot. And in fact, the project we are running is one which is a, a so-called pan-cancer project, uh, which means that we are looking at cancers across the board uh, and looking at uh, what are some shared features uh, between those cancers both regarding uh, DNA mutations and also how they are behaving, how they are growing. Uh, and this we are looking at uh, through RNA, uh, which is telling a little bit how cells are, are behaving at a certain point of time, and also how they are uh, interacting uh, with the normal tissues. 
And it, it's very interesting what you're, saying, you're talking about now with all this pan cancer research, but you men also mentioned how that each cancer is its own disease. So how, how do you reconcile both? Like, how can we learn about these cancer, different cancer diseases, and at the same time, draw any meaningful conclusions with all this plethora? Like, what is there to learn and how do we do that? Yeah. So yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And when I'm uh, emphasizing the point that every cancer is different, uh, it, it means that, that there's, a, there's a limited number of pathways or, or the ways in which cells are behaving that can go wrong uh, and that can lead to cancer. And these pathways, they're still numerous enough so that if you look at all the combinations uh, that, that take place uh, and look at the different combinations that, that, are, that are possible, a very high number of total total numbers. It's like like the lottery. If uh, if you the Finnish lottery, you have uh, forty numbers you can guess on, and you have to guess the six right numbers. Uh, it's very infrequent that, that you get the same six numbers. It's basically the same same game, and because of that, we have to understand all forty numbers. We have to understand all how all these forty different uh, pathways are working, uh, and if we do, uh, then we can uh, analyze which are the numbers for each cancer. And because of that, then we can optimally identify one or two or even three pathways, which we can target with a drug uh, and thereby perhaps uh, help the patient with, a, with, that, with that particular cancer. That's, that's crazy that you have 40 different options. And I imagine that there's also the combination of them and very quickly have a, a very, very big number. What are the research trends in this? Because if you have... If you have so many uh, data points that you can draw, if you have so many pathways that the disease can take, but like, how do you research all of this, all of this information, um, into to be able to help uh, patients hopefully one day and understand the disease better? Yeah, yeah, that's that's great. If we if we go with uh, with this lottery comparison, we are getting to the point where we have a pretty good idea of how many lottery numbers there are. Basically, how many different pathways, how many different genes are mutated, or can be mutated, or, or can be relevant for cancer. That is still, uh, it's the picture is still becoming more and more clear. But we have a general idea where that is. So that's kind of a done deal check. And uh, and now uh, now the, the the question is how do all these work together? And uh, because there's so many combinations. So if you have if you have numbers one, two, seven, eight, and eleven, how does that cancer behave compared to one where there's a different set of five numbers? And uh, and this is uh, and this of course becomes a complicated problem. And uh, the trend is currently to utilize the fantastic technological advances we have uh, on one hand in data sciences. So both ability to collect data and to analyze it is, is something that is, of course, changing all fields of science, uh, but also cancer research. And the, and the second part is uh, technological advances in being able to, to look at what's happening in, in cancers, not only in artificial systems, where, which we have relied on so far largely, uh, such as looking at, uh, at kind of still images of cancers uh, in a pathology view uh, or, or, or in other systems or using model systems uh, and more and more trying to go as close as possible to the real cancer in human beings. One example of this is, uh, is what are called kind of mini cancers or organoids as we call them, uh, which is that, uh, that we can take uh, sometimes, uh, not always, but sometimes we can take a cancer uh, from a patient 
and uh, and actually grow that cancer and even its surrounding tissues uh, outside of the body in a in a in a small in a limited environment and keep it growing and thereby an, uh, analyze exactly how that cancer is behaving is uh, reacting to certain drugs. I like hearing that very much because if I understood right, in the past, uh, if you were a patient and you were diagnosed with cancer, you would go, they will take uh, an image of it, and then um, scientists would try to analyze that image, which is what you called, it's like this artificial, because you see like a static, um, a moment in time representation of the cancer. But nowadays you can do that in the lab um, where you, you can grow it and I, I guess you see in action what's happening and therefore you can understand, break down things. But also, can we repeat things? Because if we do things in a lab setup, is it uh, random uh, like most of things in nature or can it be uh, repeated as an experiment, if I may say? Right. So that, that's the basis of science, right? Uh, uh, to, to be reproducible. Uh, and, and in fact, in fact, this is a big debate that is taking place currently in cancer research. Is it significant uh, to analyze uh, each patient and, uh, and, and his or her cancer uh, and how that reacts to a drug and, uh, and thereby uh, do this kind of an N equals one type of an experiment? Uh, does that make any sense? And the, and the, and the, and the answer to that is that uh, yes and no. Uh, because in that one in that one ca case of the patient, all that the researcher can do is report the findings to the treating physician, to the treating doctor. They are always the ones who are taking careful perception of what is the current best practice for treating the patient, and then potentially taking some new bits of information. But at the same time, it's still very useful because gradually this data is being collected, uh, and uh, and and there might be a patient. Uh, in Helsinki uh, 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 this year, and another patient uh, in in Costa Rica, where Thomas is currently, or or somewhere else uh, in the world. Uh, and when this data is is, is got, uh, when we are able to integrate this data, this is really getting getting useful. And because of that, it's very important to 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 kind of uh, just uh, do the experiment, collect the data, and then uh, partly allow for for other cancer other researchers to to uh, to get the results of of that. So it's a it's a little bit of a of a different different approach, uh, but at the same time, uh, it's it's definitely useful. And uh, and of course, it, it requires very efficient uh, data collection and also being able to to integrate data. And that is of course one something that is uh, a little bit of a of a difficult issue, uh, because as as we're all aware, people are for a very good reason are getting sensitive about how data is used and uh, we are here talking potentially about very personal data that's crazy and it's great to know that there is a lot of, of collaboration going on and people trying to see this cancer problem as a more global with more global solutions let's say how do you see big data coming into this and the processing of these massive amounts of data from all over the world and what ethical concerns would you would you have in order to kind of protect patients on one side and uh, help people get better treatments in the, in the future but at the same time protecting the data from individuals and kind of the legislative problems that one might have in terms of uh, making a, a system that that works 
Yeah, yeah, that, that's a, that's a, that, that's a really tough question. What is true, uh, I think everybody acknowledges uh, who is who is in the in the research area is that uh, uh, having big data and having and being able to integrate that uh, will be the solution for future uh, for, for future uh, real developments. And uh, and therefore, if we're not able to crack this problem, uh, we're not. This is going to be a big big problem uh, for for future cancer patients. And then, and then uh, regarding how to uh, deal with the with the ethical issues, uh, there's of course a long-standing solution which is called informed consent, and this means that uh, the patient uh, gives consent uh, to to something, and uh, and this is this is a very important part of, of medical research in general, and uh, in these in these uh, days uh, in cancer research in particular. And, uh, and I think that, that uh, this could be a big solution. Cancer patients could provide co uh, consent for data integration in a, in a bigger setting uh, be beyond a single hospital or even a single country. But then there's a second layer, uh, which is uh, from a big data perspective is very interesting. And uh, it's currently, uh, a there's a lot of thinking about how to, how to deal with this. And this is that, of course, there's data that is gathered especially in, in countries with public health care, uh, such as Finland uh, and many European countries, where, where there's data uh, collected automatically, so, so to speak, uh, during uh, normal healthcare events and during hospital events and so on. And here the question is that would there be some way in which this uh, really big data, because this is a, a, a kind of a le different level of data, uh, this really big data could be uh, leveraged uh, in the way of, of utilizing that for research purposes as well. And here it's very, very different because now there's no consent. So, so this is data which the patient has just, uh, it's automatically provided when the patient visits a hospital. And here Finland has been a forerunner in, in thinking about how this could be solved. And this is a so-called secondary use of health data. It's a, it's a law in Finland. Uh, and the secondary use means that uh, that primary healthcare data is used for research or and potentially development. And here the rules have to be especially uh, careful. And uh, and Finland is now well known globally. Indeed, is a is a model that is used in many other countries. Being in Finland as a researcher and uh, and also trying to find ways to utilize this kind of data, it's not easy and it's not trivial. And there are still a lot of lot of issues to to deal with. But I think that the, the, the kind of the principle of, of uh, enabling this kind of research only in super safe environments uh, and super controlled environments is, is the right approach from the personal point of view. Uh, just to recap for the audience who might not be familiar with all this information, because we shared quite a lot of crucial information right now. So big data means we have a large volume of data. And at the moment, this large volume of data is not necessarily readily available for research. Because as you said, when you go to the hospital, you give a blood sample, or in the case, if you have a cancer, they might take a sample of it. And that remains uh, with the hospital. And at the same time, you discussed about the patients being involved. So can patients be, be involved in the research and in the decision making of what happens to the sample that is taken from them? And if yes, how can patients be involved? And if not, what can we do as a research community and a society to ensure that the patients can have a say and, and be involved in these things? That's a great, great question. That that is especially, or, or this is an activity that has been happening in uh, in uh, in patient uh, organizations uh, who are representing 
cancers which are uh, rare, which are less less common, uh, because it is it's even more evident, such as pediatric cancers or or uh, or, or, or or many others, and uh, and in these cases it's really crucial uh, for for the for the people to to be able to share data across uh, hospitals and, and and countries, and uh, and these patient organizations uh, have taken an active role in trying to figure out ways in which uh, they could be be kind of the drivers of research in this way. And as, as uh, Thomas mentioned at the beginning, uh, I've been involved in the last three years in a project uh, that is starting in the EU, which is called uh, Mission Cancer, uh, where there's a very ambitious goal to save uh, five million lives during the next five years. Uh, and uh, and uh, one of the initiatives that is proposed uh, in that project uh, is actually a patient-driven uh, data center where patients could bring basically consent to for their data to be used for research and i think that's a very very interesting and a very interesting initiative it's great that these these initiatives are are happening especially for as you mentioned rare cancers that might that might not have the resources or that acquiring the the knowledge might be more more difficult i was wondering well, now there's a lot of talk about the precision medicine and how how medicine is getting targeted to the specific patients. What is the relationship between this precision medicine in in cancer and uh, and the research that is that is going on around it? Yeah. Uh, so, f- firstly, precision medicine is is something that is a is a term that is used uh, used quite broadly. Uh, but basically, it just means that uh, that you want to want to try to identify. Uh, all the details of a disease uh, in this, uh, in, in the case of cancer, of, of particular cancer, uh, and then I try to optimize the treatment, the, the diagnostics and treatment procedures uh, for for that disease. Uh, uh, currently, uh, there's there's actually uh, a little bit of a of an issue in the way that that a lot of the research that is taking place uh, in this area, including the ICANN project, uh, which, which we are, which we are now uh, initiating uh, in Finland, there's significant research projects which are collecting a lot of data, but currently, the regulations, the rules, and the permits, and so on, uh, are uh, a little bit inhibitory in the way that the, da- the big data that is uh, generated in these projects could be uh, utilized for the benefit of the patients, and. The biggest hindrance here, of course, is a very understandable one, which is that uh, that uh, that the people, basically the physicians who are making the the uh, decisions how to treat the patients, are worried that the research data is not of a good enough quality, and uh, and therefore it has to be kind of a, a, a quality controlled. Uh, but uh, but but I would say that that in many of the technologies we are using the same technologies that are used in the uh, in the diagnostic lab environment uh, for the patients and in the research project. So I would say that there is less and less uh, project. And I think this is a very interesting area of how we can get these fields uh, fields together. And uh, and this is a, a goal we have in in the ICAM project. Uh, and indeed, it's a very important part. Uh, we have a we have a patient arm which is very active. Uh, and this is the area where where they are more, most interested in in uh, trying to develop. We've mentioned a lot um, ICANN, this uh, this research organization, and uh, 
but we've not really mentioned uh, what it's what it's doing. So would you would you be so kind as as telling us like what is ICANN and and can you tell us what its research focus is in regards to cancer and yes. uh, what what distinguishes what distinguishes it from other cancer research um, organizations? Yes, yes, of course, that, and and, uh, and and indeed, uh, uh, so. So, so ICANN is uh, is a research project, uh, eight-year research project, which is enabled uh, by the Finnish government, uh, who decided that to give uh, uh, quite significant funding uh, to a couple of projects in all fields of science, uh, where they identified that there's potential, uh, where there's a strong research focus, and there's potential for uh, being to, able to make impact for society. Uh, and of course, in our case, that that's impact for patients. Uh, and uh, and we started in 2019, uh, and uh, and uh, the the project is uh, uh, is very ambitious, large scale project uh, where we are uh, collecting samples and other kind of data from patients who give consent. Uh, uh, in this case, a biobank consent. Uh, and and uh, we are it's, it's kind of a real world uh, uh, evidence type of a research project where we are uh, not selecting the patients uh, as such but basically taking anybody who's who's coming in and is consenting uh, and can provide samples uh, and the idea there is to collect data both from the uh, cancers from the tumors as well as from the patient uh, and try to understand, to improve understanding of how the interaction between the tumor and the patient is happening. Because this is an area where uh, it's uh, very clear that the big steps uh, ahead in cancer research will be coming in this area. Uh, and a very good example of this is the immune, immunotherapies, uh, which have developed during the last 10 years and have really uh, made a difference already in cancer therapy. And if I'm not mistaken, in, in immunotherapies, you really target the specific case of its uh, patient. So a patient comes with a specific cancer and then his treatment is going to be actually different from the treatment another person will receive in terms of immunotherapy, right? Well, so I'll, I'll, I'll tell you about two different kinds of kind of precision uh, treatments. One is that some, somebody's uh, poor patient's cancer is identified with a specific gene mutation that is known to, to respond uh, to a drug that we already have. And this is, this is called targeted treatment. Uh, and then there's a, there's a group of patients uh, whose cancers uh, uh, be, behave in a way where they, are, they, be, they take a stealth mode. Uh, if you know this term from the, from the fighter jets, uh, they go to stealth mode, which is that they hide from the immune system uh, uh, that we have, which is, uh, which is protecting uh, us against all aliens. Uh, and, uh, and this stealth mode allows the cancer to become a non-alien for, for the immune system, and, uh, and, uh, and the immune system kind of uh, ignores them. And the immune therapy is, uh, is opening up the stealth mode. And, uh, and this, is, this is something that is not completely unique for a single gene mutation, uh, but it's a it's a frequent occurrence for for several types of cancer, especially where you have a lot of mutations. Uh, uh, this this, uh, this is this this is the case. So, so this is a uh, but it's a it's a super attractive uh, way of of treating cancers. And that currently, a lot of the the drugs which are in in the pipeline for being developed are are uh, utilizing this uh, 
cancer uh, uh, host as or patient interaction in different ways. So essentially, you're trying to like awake or make the immune system of the patient understand uh, the cancer cell or like uh, uncover them from how they're hiding. Yeah, and, there's, uh, there's, yeah, there's there's couple there's couple of different ways. Uh, as, as I mentioned, the current immunotherapies, which are in broad use, they are mostly uh, trying to 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 kind of break the stealth mode. So so basically, uh, they are they are taking away from the cancer cell something that uh, that is kind of um, enabling them to hide. Uh, there are also new approaches which are trying to uh, trying to, for instance, activate the immune system and so on. So there's diff different approaches, but currently most of them are are are, are there to to uh, to. They are called checkpoint therapies, uh, and uh, and and it means that uh, that that the cancer cell uh, currently knows how to. Uh, avoid the checkpoint and the drug uh, brings back the checkpoint and the checkpoint means that the immune system attacks the cancer cells which it uh, which it recognizes as a foreign uh, cell it's it's crazy how how the body works it's uh, it's amazing to see how complex it is i mean i'm, I'm obviously biased because i i also studied life sciences i i studied biology um what what brought you to cancer research, if I may ask? It's uh, I mean, of course, because you find it interesting. But what is it that you find interesting about uh, about cancer as a as a disease and as a research topic? Uh, my uh, the the reason I'm I, I'm in this area uh, currently is because uh, because I've I've always wanted to figure out how things work. Uh, it's 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 as simple as that. Uh, and uh, when you want to know how things work, you often go to things which don't work because that's a, that's a good way to understand how things work. And uh, and basically that's where I am. I, I've also been interested in biology. So so and uh, and understanding how biology uh, works, be it woods or or plants or or or, or humans, um, uh, it's all the same same kind of principles that are that are taking place. And it's an area. That we don't understand very well, to be honest. Uh, biology has been, uh, for during my uh, career, career has been in a very descriptive, still a very descriptive stage. And I'm super excited that we are, we are currently moving to a phase where biology is becoming quantitative, which means that we can actually, I, we can actually describe biology in in mathematical terms and uh, and using using real data, and that's that's fantastic. Uh, and uh, and this is this is exciting. So so the reason I'm then then ended up in 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 the cancer area uh, is maybe more a coincidence uh, than than anything else. But of course uh, now having been there for 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 a long long while, uh, I, it's it's very it's very rewarding uh, to to see how developments are happening. And, and for the last few years, it's been very rewarding to be able to interact with patient organizations. And so on, who are very active in 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 trying to develop new solutions. It's great, um, and kind of to to go back to the beginning and and the title of the of uh, this episode. What I mean, you've you've seen the the area of cancer research change a lot throughout the years, um, and of course you you're a specialist in in cancer. Do you think we can beat it? Um, can we beat cancer? I, here I like to like to to refer uh, to uh, I take a comparison uh, from a completely different field, uh, cars. Uh, so 
so when when Volvo <coughs> patented uh, the the three point seat belt in in 1959, uh, and thereafter uh, Sweden uh, uh, as a as a as a country decided on a zero deaths goal uh, for for traffic, uh, I think that that uh, everybody understands that the seat belt has made a huge change. It saved a lot of lives. Uh, at the same time, having a zero deaths goal is probably not possible, uh, uh, at, at least in the near future. I, I think the same holds true for, for cancer. So, so beating cancer completely, I think, is unlikely because, because at the end of the day, uh, we are uh, uh, biological creatures. And uh, and we have we are the result of millions of years of evolution, um, and uh, and because of that, uh, from an evolutionary point of view, we are we are useful for the time when we are reproducing or helping reproduction, and uh, and uh, and uh, we are currently focusing most of our attention in not only in cancer research but in neuroscience and and elsewhere, in trying to prolong lives which are already from a biological perspective way too long. And therefore, I think that uh, we are we are not going to uh, beat cancer completely. And of course, the 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 longer we live, the more we will have of these uh, old age problems. At the same time, I think that huge improvements uh, are have been made. It's fantastic, and and less and less people hopefully are going through big suffering from from cancer. Uh, more and more people will have uh, be able to live with cancer. I think that's that's already taking place, and that's something that's very important to to remove the stigma from cancer. It's 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 not it's like COVID. Uh, nowadays, people people with COVID are it's, it's a normal normal part of life, uh, and uh, and and in this way, I think that it's very important that we continue to think of ways to find new solutions uh, and uh, and thereby. Uh, go closer to the zero target, uh, not, not beating it. This is a very important message, and I like you mentioning it because it's not only with cancer, but as you said, with many other things in life, you can't hit the zero, but at least you can go as close as possible to it and improve the situation. And as I understand it, and for me, what I want the audience who listens to us today to remember is that uh, in order to achieve there, we need research and to do research, especially in life sciences, we need material and that comes from the people themselves. So it's important uh, to contribute as patients to science and also as society to help as much as possible scientists to keep on doing the work and in particular in life sciences to save lives essentially. Um, and that would be my message for people to take home, but I'm curious to hear what is the key message you want to take uh, people home from today's episode? Well, uh, being here at the science basement, I think that that is exactly the right point. If we think about, oh, we are today talking about cancer, and uh, this, is a, this is a problem that, that we are, that will be increasing hugely unless we make new solutions. Uh, I think we all want our kids uh, and, uh, and future generations to have a good life. That means we need to find new solutions. And of course, uh, the only way to do that is by improving understanding in this area of science as well as others. Uh, and uh, therefore, I couldn't agree with you more with the, with the, with the basic, basic statement. And of course, uh, maybe as a personal note, I would say that, uh, that it's, it's uh, very, very uh, rewarding to see the excitement and growth of, of new generations of, of young people who are excited about finding uh, the, the making new discoveries 
in the world and uh, and uh, and uh, and finding finding uh, their careers in science. That's that's great to hear. Thanks a lot for for your words and thanks a lot for all all your knowledge. It's a uh, it's been great having you and uh, it's it's always nice to hear from someone that that knows their topic and is really passionate about it. So thanks a lot for for sharing that with us. It, 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 it's a joy and and uh, and uh, of course i'm very happy for you guys to to having some some more podcasts in uh, in this area where there's going to be a lot more uh, exploring of 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 the areas that we touched only briefly today thank you that's a very nice way to actually serve our upcoming episodes because as thomas said at the beginning we are having this mini series so we will be talking uh, a lot in the in the upcoming episodes about more specific topics in the cancer research. So thank you also again for your time. I know Thomas said it, but I wanted to say it myself and, and for the wisdom you shared with us today. Thank you. Thank you. Have a nice day. The science if you liked this episode, give it a thumbs up. Radios on the podcasting app of your choice. And don't forget to share it with your friends. This podcast was produced by The Science Basement, a science communication organization based in Helsinki, Finland. Interested in getting involved or being interviewed? Get in touch at podcast at